0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning. I'm Matt Hoffman. In for Annika Colbert, it's Friday, March 18th. A California gas tax holiday. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Opening arguments are beginning this morning in the trial of former caregiver Matthew Flukager. He's accused of sexually assaulting three women at local nursing homes. The alleged assaults took place at San Diego Post-Acute and Avocado Post-Acute in El Cajon. It also happened at Parkway Hills Nursing and Rehabilitation in La Mesa. The former caregiver faces multiple charges that carry between 15 years to life in prison. The San Diego Sheriff's Department is investigating an in-custody death. 22-year-old William Shuck was arrested last week for driving under the influence following a crash near Sunset Cliffs. The Sheriff's Department says he was booked into the central jail after San Diego police transported him to the hospital where no obvious signs of trauma were seen. Six days later, he was found unresponsive in his cell. Investigators say homicide detectives are handling this case. They say Shuck was alone in his cell and there were no obvious signs of trauma. San Diego is hosting the first two rounds of the NCAA March Madness tournament. The San Diego Sports Commission says it's expected to bring in between six to ten million dollars for the local economy. The last time the tournament was held in San Diego, about 50% of attendees were from outside the area. Nathan Kopp is with Sports San Diego.
1: That's obviously a very good number to highlight of people that are coming in for the event, staying in hotels. Uh, eating at our restaurants, and and supporting our, our local economy.
0: The first game at Fiejas Arena will be this morning at 1045. The Red Raiders from Texas Tech are playing the Montana State Bobcats. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news that you need.
2: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen.
0: Democrats in the California Assembly are proposing a $400 tax rebate to ease the burden of high gas prices. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the money would come from the state's budget surplus.
1: Republicans wanted a six-month gas tax holiday to ease the pain at the pump. But Democrats argue that would leave out Californians who are too poor to own a car but are still struggling with inflation. UCSD economist Mark Jacobson says an across-the-board tax rebate would also ensure all the money goes to consumers, not oil companies. Illinois and Indiana had gas tax holidays a a while back, and some academic economists looked at those and found that about Uh, 70% of the money went to consumers and about 30% went to the producers. Democrats say $400 would be the equivalent of a one-year gas tax holiday for the average motorist. They're still in talks with Governor Gavin Newsom, who's not yet on board. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News.
0: The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to cool down the inflationary spiral that's made gas, food, and housing prices spike. It raised interest rates earlier this week by a quarter of a percent. Ray Major is the chief economist at the San Diego Association of Governments. He spoke to KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh about how the move is expected to impact the economy.
3: The headlines say this is the end of free money. Why have interest rates been so low for so long?
4: Well, over the last couple of years, the Fed has kept the interest rates low primarily because of COVID and not wanting to push the economy into a recession. And so by allowing interest rates to remain low, it allowed people to borrow money at very reasonable rates or close to zero in some cases and be able to spur the economy.
3: Can you explain the basic theory about why boosting interest rates should cool off inflation?
4: When you boost interest rates, what ends up happening is that you make the cost of borrowing money more expensive. And so what happens is people have less money to spend on other goods. And when you do that, you end up cooling down the economy. So for instance, if you have a $600,000 loan right now at 4%, for instance, you would be paying about $1,864 a month in mortgage payment. But by raising the interest rates by a quarter of a percent, that payment would go to about $2,000 a month. And so what happens is that takes money out of the consumer's pocket that they would normally be spending on something else, and it puts it towards, for instance, in this case, their mortgage payment.
3: Now, where should this small boost in the rate be felt first in the US economy? Is it mortgages?
4: I think you're going to start to see mortgage interest rates creep up. You're also going to see payments on on variable rate loans like credit cards start to creep up also. So that's where you're going to see it first. Uh, But with a quarter of a percent increase, you won't feel it too much at the beginning.
3: And why do you think they chose that amount for the rate increase?
4: Well, I think they really have a policy here that they're telegraphing that they're going to do a series of increases, approximately six over the, over the course of the next year. And so what they're showing us is that interest rates will be going up over the next year, and it allows the economy to, to adjust for that in small steps rather than doing it all at once.
3: Now, an interest rate hike is also supposed to slow down business expansion and job creation. How do you see that affecting San Diego?
4: Well, right now we have an incredible backlog of jobs that need to be filled, really. And so if you slow down business expansion a a little bit, I'm not sure that you're going to feel it right now because there are a lot of job openings. But as interest rates start to creep up higher and you continue to see the impact of inflation and if these interest rate hikes aren't enough to lower inflation, what you will see is businesses having to figure out how to cut back. And uh, a lot of that would be on purchases of, of new equipment, for instance, because they would be more expensive, but also on labor.
3: And is that a risk for our economy?
4: It's always a risk when you start changing things like interest rates. And I think this is, again, why the Fed is doing it in very small increments is because they're trying to make sure that the economy has what would be considered a soft landing so that we can anticipate what's happening and not just grind the entire economy to a halt. But it is something that is going to be of concern and something that we should watch in the in the year to come.
0: That was Sandag's chief economist, Ray Major, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. Help is on the way for healthcare workers who have seen the worst of the pandemic. The Dr. Lorna Breen Healthcare Provider Protection Act is sitting on the president's desk. The measure aims to provide millions in funding to create new or beef up existing mental health programs. The act is named after New York Dr. Lorna Breen. She was working almost nonstop during early COVID surges and became overwhelmed. UC San Diego Health's Judy Davidson has been studying suicides among healthcare workers for 5 years.
3: What we found is that the fear of loss of job or license is associated with death by suicide amongst healthcare professionals. And Dr. Green's family has reported publicly that they think that her fear of reporting that she had a mental health concern to the board of medicine prevented her from getting the treatment she needed and led to her death
1: by suicide.
0: Davidson says there's a stigma around mental health that has to be removed. She says the mental health reporting process must be kept private so that people can seek help without any fear of repercussions. Yesterday, we told you about how Oceanside was becoming a major hotspot for tourists. And today, we're bringing you more on Oceanside's spiking home values. KPBS's Tanya Thorne says some feel that gentrification is killing the last affordable coastal city in San Diego County.
5: Natalie Sanchez lives with her parents, brother, and two kids in the Libby Lake neighborhood of Oceanside. It's a two-bedroom house, one bath. So it's a little difficult, but... Now with prices soaring and everything, it's hard to purchase a bigger house. They lived in the same house for 25 years. She was looking to purchase her own home in Oceanside, but the only homes within her budget were in Temecula. We're rooted here. We don't want to move from here. But at this point, it's it's kind of like, well, should we move over there? Because that's what we could afford. The city is undergoing a lot of change. Two new beachfront resorts opened their doors less than a year ago, and trendy restaurants and cafes are filling downtown. Aaron and Roddy Browning, the owners of the Flying Pig Pub and Kitchen, say that's exactly why they moved their restaurant to the downtown area
4: we have a lot of catching up to do. Um, and this change is good for that because it's stimulating people coming to Oceanside.
5: While they welcome the new business, they say many locals don't <laughs> feel the same way.
4: We have a lot of regulars that are not ex- extremely excited about it um, because,
2: you know, they want to keep Oceanside that, that you know, that, that, the way Oceanside was.
6: And, and as much as we loved it as well, I think it's important to recognize that change is going to happen with or without you.
5: Many tourists are making Oceanside their next destination. So says Ben Fairchild with the Mission Pacific Hotel and Seabird Resort.
6: Now they're starting to explore a new seaside destination in Oceanside. What's new and what's next? This is the new hit part of Southern California that prior really hasn't been explored.
5: Fairchild says the new resorts are projected to bring in $3.4 million in tax revenue when stabilized. He says that as tourism and events pick up, The resorts will have more job opportunities and boost the local economy. But prices are also going up. The average home now costs more than $700,000, beyond what many working families can afford. But Christy Hawthorne with the Oceanside Historical Society says it isn't gentrification. It's something everyone is seeing.
2: that's happening everywhere, not just Oceanside. And the home prices that continue at this point in time continue to skyrocket, are skyrocketing all over Southern California and San Diego County. It's not because new development is happening. The Oceanside property values are skyrocketing. They were going to skyrocket with this economy that's happening right now, unfortunately.
5: Home values have increased everywhere, but not as fast of a rate as in Oceanside. Sanchez, whose family has lived in the city for 25 years, can feel that plainly. She says Oceanside is gentrifying, and locals in neighborhoods like the ones she lives in are getting forgotten. All the funding has been going to tourism. You know, they forget about all these little neighborhoods. Um, They're developing new housing, but they're developing housing that the minorities or people that have been here in Oceanside can't afford. She is helping members in the community be more active in city council meetings and speak up in an effort to be heard. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News.
0: Coming up, we'll bring you part two of our series on how the pandemic is impacting San Diego's art scene. That's next, just after the break. This week, we started a new series on the second anniversary of COVID-19 shutdowns and the impact they had on events and the performing arts. We're continuing with the state of the theater. Two years ago, theaters went dark across the country and there was a racial reckoning. In June of 2020, theater workers nationwide joined together to build anti-racist theater systems. The campaign was called We See You White American Theater. KPBS producers Emlyn Mohebi and Julia Dixon-Evans gathered stories from a variety of people working in the theater. We start with a local actor and activist.
7: My name is Joy Yvonne Jones. I'm an actress, poet, playwright, and president of the San Diego Black Artist Collective, as well as the Associate Artistic Director at New Village Arts Theater. The last two years has been incredibly challenging. On March 12th, 2020 I was in the middle of a phenomenal show. We hadn't opened yet, but we were in tech and it was the last day of the last tech when everything got shut down. And there was so much hope for it to come back and you know, it would be 2 weeks and we'd be back at it again. Now here we are 2 years later and the world has changed. I spent a long time just sitting and trying to figure out how to make art and I found art activism and really found peace and love in creating art with a message that I feel like is important for us today. Like art should be a mirror to society. So I feel like I'm doing my part. I'm doing something when I create art with meaning. Zoom plays were like our lifeboat in the middle of the storm. We were trying to create art and tell stories safely as an actress. My biggest challenge was trying to tell this cohesive story with a person that I'm in this moment with who could be a million miles away. But we both had the love and the intention to share with the world our art. And so try as we might, we told those stories with whatever we had around us. We carved out spaces in our homes away from the chaos of just life at home to create. They may not be the best plays in the world, but they were how we survived. And I am very curious to see how they're incorporated in theater in the future.
5: For some working in the theater industry, particularly those working behind the scenes, being in the room is critical to their profession.
1: I am David Israel Reynoso. I'm a scenic costume designer and exhibit designer as well. So much of the work that I do as a scenic designer, as a costume designer, is very much dependent, as you can imagine, on having an audience. And so how do you make theater? How do you design for theater when there is no audience? So much of what I love about what I do is the idea of, you know, being hands-on, of, of you know, really feeling the textures of fabrics, you know, or when I'm working on a set, the idea of being there to help with the set dressing. There's something very instinctive about the work when I'm getting to use my own hands. There's a lot to that then I kind of try out, right? As it feels a bit pretty sculptural. It's something that I think surprises people to hear is that, you know, there were projects that were frozen or sort of postponed pre-pandemic. There were contracts that I had signed, agreed to, that I was paid for (laughs) pre-pandemic. And then suddenly, post-pandemic, had to follow through on because the agreement was there. In the midst of the pandemic, of course, I had to generate other work and be a bit creative in terms of how it was that I was making a living. And then now these shows that were sort of on hold had to suddenly come back. So much of immersive work is really truly about allowing yourself to get lost in a space, right? This idea that somehow you are activating Your muscle memory, you're moving through a space, your senses are active and you're smelling things, touching things. And so one thing that was really sort of interesting to contemplate is how do you evoke that feeling when you're not able to create a space that people are going to be touching or occupying. The idea that, of course, the imagination is something that's very, very powerful. And uh, when there's that invitation to play, to fill in the gaps, I think something very powerful and profound can happen
5: Sam Woodhouse is set to retire later this year as Artistic Director of the San Diego Repertory Theater. After an incredibly long career working in local theater, I asked Sam what it's been like these last two years.
8: This has been the most difficult two years that I can recall in my 46 seasons as Artistic Director of San Diego Repertory Theater. Our business, the reason we exist is to gather people together live in a room to share a story. And for most of the past two years, we couldn't do that. So we all talk about pivoting to video streaming, which we did a tremendous amount of, but it is simply not the same as the live theater experience.
5: And have you recovered from this? Or how has it been financially as a theater? What's the prognosis there?
8: The revenue from streamed productions compared to the revenue from live productions is generally speaking, I think we saw about somewhere between 20 to 40% of the live revenue when we were streaming. So a huge loss of ticket revenue.
5: And then where are you now with that? How have you been able to recover or stay afloat?
8: We are seeing audiences that are about 50% of what we were seeing before the pandemic. So the recovery is going to be a slow one, I believe, and will take time as people remind themselves about the thrills of live theater experience, and perhaps even more importantly, as they become less afraid of the COVID virus and more willing to go out and sit in a room with a whole bunch of strangers.
5: Josh Breckenridge grew up in San Diego County and works on the Broadway production of Come From Away, which got its start at the La Jolla Playhouse. During the pandemic, when Broadway shut down and work dried up, he moved home and even recorded an album. He spoke to us from New York.
6: On March 12th, 2020, you know, we got that official cutoff from the Broadway League and, and the powers that be that, that Broadway was shutting down temporarily because of the pandemic. We did a film version of Come From Away that's available on Apple TV And that was kind of a baby step back into the world of Come From Away. And then from there, it took a little more time as Broadway got its, you know, stuff together. And, and then in the fall, came back um, full throttle. Um, not without our hiccups, like everyone had, you know, we had an Omicron hit and we had a huge struggle. We had to cancel twice, you know, shut down twice because of COVID outbreaks in our company. And, um, I don't think I mentioned this before, but I'm the dance captain in one of the standbys that come from away on Broadway. And so it's my job to keep up the integrity of the show, uh, from a blocking and choreography, uh, standpoint, um, as the dance captain. And so, you know, part of my job was getting, putting new people back in, into the show when we came back, keeping up. Uh, the cleanliness of the show, um, and at the same time being ready to go on for five of the male roles in the show. The, the show is comprised of 12 actors, six men, six women. My job to cover all but one of the men and be able to teach and note and keep tabs on all the other characters. So it's a it's been a busy busy career, especially as of late with come from Away and um, very busy during the the huge kind of splash of of omicron because um, we had people dropping like flies. We had, I had no idea what role I was gonna be on for next. And um, luckily there's been a huge resurgence, in, or I should say bit of respect and acknowledgement of standbys and, and swings and understudies and covers in general um, during this pandemic.
0: The San Diego Latino Film Festival is at a new location after being postponed because of the pandemic. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer says the film festival now celebrates Latino culture with other visual arts.
6: The San Diego Latino Film Festival is currently going on at Westfield Mission Valley Mall's AMC Theatres. It's a new location for the event after a two-year hiatus. While there are still plenty of great films to see, this year's festival also offers more visual arts than ever before. Mixed media artist Paco Pablos featured his paintings of Mexican icons at the event using augmented reality to bring his work to life through a phone app. Frida
4: Kahlo, an iconic painter, and Guillermo del Toro, an iconic director. You know, so they are proudly Mexican, so I my exhibition was about Mexican icons, so that's the reason why I put them there.
6: The 29th San Diego Latino Film Festival. Runs until March 20th and features in-person film screenings, daily live music, and a food and drink festival this upcoming Saturday. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News.
0: That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Matt Hoffman, in for Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great Friday.